There are some texts in the scripture that bring us joy. There are some texts in the scripture that confront us. There are some texts in the scripture that encourage us. There are some texts in the scripture that convict us. And there are some texts that need to be digested, that we need days to digest it. The text today, I'm so happy to be again here to preach this easy topic. (laughs) Oh my, I pray that God sustain me and sustain the church as well. Um, And let me begin by acknowledging that divorce is a sensitive and emotional charged subject. And probably everyone in this room has been affected by divorce. Families destroys, children, churches. And it is always a painful and often disturbing experience for everyone who has been through a divorce. However, for everybody in this room, it is important to understand the Bible, the Bible perspective on this issue. Why? For many reasons, one of them is because it's the only way to understand your view on this topic, God's view on this topic. Second, because the church is under attack, brothers and sisters, and marriage is. And if we have been here through the whole series of Matthew, you have remember, probably you remember, that Jesus had already spoken on divorce during the Sermon of the Mount, chapter 5. Jesus was teaching to disciples, and differently than the text that we have today, the audience were different. The audience in Matthew 5 were the crowd and his disciples. But now, he is tested by the Pharisee. And if we see divorce today, if we look around nowadays, divorce has become a pandemic. If we look around, there is... uh, a lot of physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, families in the midst of this. And actually marriage and divorce statistics reveals that approximately every 36 seconds a divorce occurs somewhere in the United States. More than a million per year. So you can do the math. United Nations statistics says that on divorce suggests that the divorce rate in the United States is the third highest in the world. Some says that divorce, the statistics has been declining, but not because people are not divorcing less, but they are not married. They are not getting married now. They don't see this as something important. Unfortunately, brothers and sisters, A study by the Barna Research Group indicates that those who identified as Christians were just as likely to divorce as non-Christians. So today's text is of interest to all of us. If you are married, if you are divorced, if you are remarried, if you are single, um, if you are under the midst of a crisis, we are all interested in knowing what God's perspective is on this issue. So the Bible always has been clear. The problem is that sometimes we rather to listen to the culture and society than the voice of God. I know it's a very sensitive topic. So, but let's see what Jesus says about, let's read it. 
Let's explain it. Let's understand it, receive it, and apply it. So today's sermon text is the Jesus' perspective on divorce. And I want you to open your Bible or turn on your Bible, Matthew 19. Let's read it again. It was a, such a good reading of our sister Robin, and I wish I could read as good as she did. But be patient and stay till the end, okay? Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And a large crowd followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking. And pay attention. There's two questions that they do in order to test Jesus. First question. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Highlight any cause. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God's joined together, let not man separate. It's a good question. They say to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, probably the same thing that we think. If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive it, busy receive it. When we read this text, it's clear that Jesus speaks more about marriage than divorce. Jesus offers a biblical insight into marriage and consequently to divorce. And in the light of what Jesus said, as a church, as a church, we must embrace the worldview of marriage that Jesus teaches. The worldview of marriage that Jesus teaches. And I will present the perspective on divorce that Jesus teaches. And also, I will end giving a recommendation, an exhortation for singles. So what is the Jesus perspective on divorce? Two things. First... He teaches that divorce threatens God's plan for marriage. Divorce threatens God's plan for marriage. If you read verse 1 to 6, you will notice and read the spirit behind. Now when Jesus had finished this saying, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea. This is important. Beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking... Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read? This is very offensive, okay? This is the scholar people. This is the smarter. 
the most intelligent and prominent people, religious leaders. And this reply was not necessarily too kind. Have you not read that who created them from the beginning, made them male and female? Have you not read Genesis 1:27? And said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Genesis 2:24. Have you not read? So, there are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Okay? If you read the very first line, you will notice that Matthew is transitioning from the last portion that we saw last week. You remember chapter 18. He finished that discourse and then he transitioned. And every time you see this word, it's Matthew changing the topic. He says, now when Jesus has finished this saying, referring to the previous chapter. And Jesus entered to this region in Judea in the area called Perea. And this is important because probably the motivations behind the Pharisee to test Jesus is because now Jesus is in a ground where Governor Herod Antipas rules. In verse 2, again, Jesus is doing what he has been doing. Great multitude follow him, and then he performs miracles that were the manifestations of what? We have been teaching this, of his messianic and credential, and where he showed his power and compassion. And this is important because next week, we will see Jesus getting into Jerusalem in weeks after, getting into Jerusalem and receiving by all these people. So now he has the Pharisees who come to him to test him. And the first question, straight to the neck. Hey, what do you think? And you know why they brought this question? And it's a very good question. Why they test Jesus? We know that Satan did it. And now this instrument of Satan is, again, testing Jesus. Why they tested Jesus in that way? Well, let me tell you. The nation of Israel was very much divided because of this topic. And there were two schools, rabbinic school, Heliel and Shammai. Heliel was the most popular among the Jewish people, and they were really liberal. They were authorizing letter of divorce or certificate of divorce for any cause, and we'll talk about more about that. The other school, Shammai, was a more conservative school. And some people think that they tested Jesus because they want to know in what side Jesus was. So they want Jesus to be what? Unpopular. They don't want Jesus to continue to increase his popularity because everything that Jesus has been teaching is against the interpretation of the Pharisees' law. All the people think that they tested Jesus because Jesus was in this region where the governor, Herod, Antipas, Antipas was ruling in that area, and he was the same, and he was the guy who what? Who beheaded John the Baptist. And some people think that they put Jesus into a risky position, so if Jesus replied according to John the Baptist, he may get in trouble. In other words, this test was not well-intentioned. 
this that sought to discredit Jesus and put him in a risk position. But how Jesus responded, I like it. I like the way that always Jesus responds every time he's tempted or test. He responds with the scripture. We saw that last week, don't we? Again, it has been a constant exercise of Jesus teaching his disciple that use the scripture to respond to any crisis. Again, Jesus is quoting Genesis 1:27, Genesis 2:24, and Jesus is defining his perspective from the scripture. We as a Christian, we should do the same thing. The culture is pressing a lot, it's pressing on. And the only way to push back and be effective is if we use the scripture to define our understanding. With the scripture, Jesus responds, his view and he developed his perspective of marriage with the scripture so that it may be the truth that reigns and not what sin has harmed. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? When they asked them if it is lawful, don't lose the context. And let me bring some colors here. Jesus is giving a biblical perspective, and they were dealing with some cultural issues and interpretation on divorce. And Jesus brings his perspective. Well, how does this perspective look like? Well, you read it. Jesus' perspective shows God's design. Jesus said, it is the union between a man born by man. It's important to make the clarification. A man born man. Man born man. Or a woman born woman. It's a union between a man born man and a woman born woman. One man for one woman, one woman for one man. It teaches brothers and sisters that any union... That is not according to God's design. You can call it union, but not marriage. We see the culture trying to sell this new understanding about marriage and want to marry anyone who get together. No, no, no. Jesus' perspective shows God's design, one man. And he points to the design. He points to the beginning. He points to the creation God's design was that way. What else? God's design teaches that if you are a man and get married with another man, that's an union but not a marriage. What else? Jesus' perspective shows the value of this relationship. Read it. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This relationship is a higher call than the relationship between father and children. And sometimes we love our fathers, we love our parents, we love them. Sometimes we love them in an unhealthy way. Some par sometimes parents, they love their children in an unhealthy way. They don't let them to grow, they don't let them to go, they don't let them but. The Bible teaches in Jesus' perspective on marriage is like, it's clear. 
This relationship is higher call than the relationship between a father and a children. What else? Well, because this relationship, being one flesh, is a union that involves your whole being. Your body, your soul, your mind, your affections, your spirit. There is not other union or relationship on the earth that can displace these elements and this glorify God. Jesus' perspective on marriage also shows the foundation. What, what is that based? What is, what is this perspective? Where is this perspective rooted? In the scripture. It's in the scripture. Jesus is not inventing anything new. He's just quoting the scripture again and again. It was made in that way. When what God said is good, therefore, our marriage should be based and rooted on the scripture. And also, Jesus tells about how long it will stay. Marriage, the duration. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So the question to, to do the first question, the question, the response to the first question, the question of divorce, Jesus responds with his perspective, biblical perspective. He said, he says, this union is created by God, covenant with God, which not man should break. Therefore, marriage is an idea of God. Marriage is part of God's plan. It's a sacred union of a relationship that becomes one flesh. And man has no right to destroy it. Brothers and sisters, when we read Jesus bluntly responds, then we understand why divorce goes against God's plan for marriage. What else? Well, Jesus also teaches the divorce, and he gets to the second point, divorce exists because of sin. And now Jesus addresses the second question, read with me verse 7 to 9. They said to him, why then... Did Moses command and observe the difference between what they said and what Jesus replied? Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And Jesus, told, Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses not commanded, he allowed you to divorce your wives. And again... Jesus bring back his thoughts and his view. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The Pharisees, they are not satisfied with Jesus' response. And what they did, the same thing that Satan did when tempted Jesus and put it in the top of the temple. Hey, jump it. Because it is written. And he quoted a psalm, and Jesus said, come on, Satan, it is written. You will not tempt God, your God. And now the Pharisees, not satisfied with Jesus' answer, they quote the scripture again. And they bring to the discussion Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. And they said, in the context, they said, hey, they, they thought that, Jesus, that Moses commanded, verse 7, you can read it, why did then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce. And they understood that that portion of Deuteronomy 24.1 was a commandment. 
Deuteronomy 24 says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eye because of, he has found some, this is the problem. This word is a problem that caused all the interpretation. Indecency, it was so subjective. And he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts in her hand and send her out of his house. And she departs out of his house. And if, he, and, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and then let her man hates her. Why? We don't know. Hurts her. And writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in, his, in her hands and, and send her out of his house. Or if the letter ma man dies... Who took her to be his wife. Then her former husband who sent her away. What a mess. <laughs> May not take her again to be his wife. After she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. The Pharisee, the letter of divorce was a command for God, from God. Certificate of divorce, equal command to divorce. And Jesus again, he rejects their incorrect view of marriage. Let me bring some context so we may understand why Jesus said what he said. In the Asian East, women had no rights at all, no legal rights. Generally speaking, they cannot own land or own a business. They cannot testify in court or enter into contracts. So most women had no way to sustain themselves in their culture. Literally, they had no way to support themselves. So therefore, women trusted men to survive. And for many of them, divorce was putting them at risk of losing their Livelihood. Therefore, a woman abandoned by her husband was literally hopeless. So when Moses allowed to give a certificate of divorce, it was God protecting the most vulnerable. And it was because of sin and the hardness of their hearts. God ordered, God in order to correct this injustice, Told Israel, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 24.1, that if a man is determined to divorce his wife, he must give her a certificate of divorce. So you were not able to kick her out because of your understanding, interpretation of the word in the sense, in the sense, in the sense. So why does Jesus make this clarification and he goes straight and confront the Pharisee? Well, as I told you, these two schools, the Heliel and Shammine, they interpreted this word differently. The Hillel, who was the most popular in that moment, because, I don't know, people, of course, they like to be remarried, in marriage, and, you know, it became very popular. This school had gained popularity. But they gave, Hillel school gave four grounds for divorce. Physical, social, sexual, and domestic. And I will read from the Mishnah now, which is, was the source that they used in order to give permission and certificate of divorce. A man could divorce if his wife was barren, if her husband considered her lazy, 
Can you imagine that today? He could still divorce her if she had no eyeballs. If she was hunch. Yes, I know. <laughs> snub nose, nose, snub nose, eyes too high or low, squeezing, crying eyes, eyes large as a calf, <laughs> or small like a goose, very large or very small nose, floppy ears, tooth loss. Look at this. A man could divorce his wife if she visited his parent house against her husband's permission. A man could divorce his wife if his wife talked to any man other than her husband. If she cursed her husband's parents or yelled at her husband so loudly that her voice could be heard outside of their house. If that happened today... If she burned his dinner, and I'm so happy you're laughing. <laughs> or if he found someone he thought was prettier. In fact, a historian of first century, Flavius Josefo, said, divorce was allowed for every reason. So when the Pharisees... Come back to the text. When the Pharisees come up with this question of whether it is lawful to divorce for any reason, this is what they had in mind. And this is why Jesus replied in the way they replied. It's because of the hardness of your heart, because of your sins. Jesus says, not, Jesus says, divorce exists because of your sin, but from the beginning it was not so, so now you may understand why Jesus said what he said. And Jesus said, Moses did not command divorce. He only allowed it. And now there is a big difference between commanded and allowing. Because God has never agreed to divorce. Why? Brothers and sisters, because marriage reflects aspect of God's character. His love. His forgiveness. His patience, his faithfulness, to the point that the people of Israel was unfaithful many, many, many times, and he never left them. Never left them. And God takes us so serious, so seriously marriage because he is in a covenant with his people and today with his church. Marriage portrays the relationship between God and his people. And we as a church, as a Christian, this is the view we should embrace. We must do everything in our power to avoid divorce. It's clear that Jesus' conclusion is that divorce came because of sin and it is not God's plan. So let's reject any worldview differently than this one. Marriage is a sacred plan of God which seeks to show God. To show the relationship of Christ and his church. And you may ask, Pastor, but what if? What if? 
what if? I want to be sensitive, and I want to be so pastoral from now on. Well, I hope that I have been since the beginning, but what if there is infidelity? What about this verse, verse 9? Let me explain it to you, and I hope that I can, I can do it in the time I have left. Verse 9, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The first thing that you see is the potential that sins has, okay? It's clear. Sins is always the reason for all divorces. And now he, Jesus teaches that sexual immorality has the potential to destroy marriage. And apparent, uh, apparently in this text, and I say apparently because I'm, I'm going to unpack that. Jesus indicates that sexual immorality is a, an acceptable reason for divorce. So now we have a clause, except an exception, that only Matthew quotes. Nor, Ma, nor Luke, but Matthew. And there is many debates around whether this is a license for divorce, a permission for divorce. And Bible scholars differ of the meaning of this exception clause, sexual immorality. Why? I will give you the, the view so you may shape your understanding and the debate that is around this. And you don't take lightly marriage or divorce. There is some that think that Jesus used this as a synonym for adultery. The word here is porneia, where the word pornography comes from, okay? Sexual immorality, porneia. But the word adultery is moikeia, different words. And some argue that adultery of either spouse is the only and sufficient reason for a marriage to end in divorce. And they give, they have, there's two other divisions from this interpretation. Those who think that once you get divorced, you can remarry. Others think that there is no ground for remarriage in this text. So there is ground for divorce, but not for remarriage. Others define porneia as a sexual offense that occurs only during the engagement time called betrothal, a period when a Jewish man and a woman considered themselves married, but they didn't consume, they didn't have intimacy yet like Joseph and Mary. What Joseph was about to do, there's, there were two ways to left your wife, either certificate or abandoning them. If you abandon her without their certificate, you assume the responsibility. And that was what Joseph was about to do when we read in the book of Matthew. So people think that porneia only refers for this particular period. Others believe that the term porneia refers to a marriage when you mar married to a family not knowing that that person was a relative. You married to a cousin or a niece or your aunt. According to Leviticus 18, you were under punishment if you do that. And people interpret that as a permission to divorce just if you got married to a relative. And the other one, the last one, view, interprets this word to a lifestyle of a relentless, persistent sexual infidelity, okay? A person that is in an ongoing um, infidelity. So all those views have fixed four positions regarding marriage and remarriage, divorce. 
There's ground, there is no ground for divorce, no ground for remarriage. There is certain condition for divorce according to text, this text, but no ground for remarriage. There is no ground for, there is ground, certain condition for divorce and certain condition for remarriage. And there is any condition for divorce and any condition for remarriage. That's the four views that we have today. Whatever view one takes on the exception clause, Jesus obviously affirmed the permanence of marriage. Why? Because Jesus expects divorce to be the rare exception and not the rule within the faith community. Although you could infer that divorce is allowed in a very specific circumstance, but it's not never ordered. So Jesus is saying that divorce was an option for some, some people think, because of sin, but sin, but not a license to sin. Why, brother and sister? Because what we read last week, the gospel, we find hope to restore any sin in marriage. The gospel, just go previous verses in chapter 18, he says he brings the parable between the, the servant that received all the grace from the king. And then he couldn't forgive his co-servant, his uh, friend. The gospel, but in the gospel we find hope to restore. And let me, in the light of this text, before we end with the exhortation for singles, I want to give some exhortations. Very from the bottom of my heart. My first exhortation and recommendation is for those who have been gone through a divorce process, whether you are single or have married today. Let me tell you this, and I want to be clear with this. Your identity is not defined by your past. In Christ, you are a new creature. creature. Don't think that you are less Important. Don't think that you are not useful for God. That is a lie. Let's remember that divorce is not an unforgivable sin. Okay? All our sins have been nailed to the cross. Okay? And if you remember all the things that Matthew has been teaching, do you remember that most, that Jesus said, if you... In your heart, lost another woman, you commit what? Adultery. If you see pornography, you commit what? Adultery. So don't judge divorced people or remarried people. Your identity is not defined by your past. Your past doesn't define you, don't defi doesn't define who you are. Christ, Christ has said you are chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, and you know what, brother and sister, that's the way he sees you every single day. You have been justified by him, and he declares you righteous every single day. He sees you holy every single day. For your performance, no. For the merits of Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life. Who took our spot in the cross. He bore our sins. And now those who trust in him will be called his children. Every single day. My second exhortation is for the church. 
church, a divorced or remarried person is no less than anyone who's married. All of us, we have the same identity in Christ. That's what we are, children of God. And let me tell you, in this church, in this audience, in God's eyes, we are not divided by nation, language, social status, social class, color, skin. No, in God's eye, we are divided, this room and the whole world into children of God, enemies of God. You are a children of God or you are an enemy of God. So, if in this church, someone has made you feel less, if in this church someone has made you feel less important, that your voice doesn't count because you are divorced or remarried, behalf of the church, I ask you for forgiveness. It is a wrong interpretation of our identity in Jesus Christ. So church, let's be careful the way we treat our brothers and sisters redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. My third recommendation is for those who are married. If you are married, take care of your marriage. Take care of your marriage. Look at God's plan for marriage and honor God, God with it. Husband, be a servant leader. Love your wife as Christ loves the church. Wife, be a good helper. As the Bible says, submit it to your husband, lovely. Take care of your marriage. Don't take for granted that you have 10, 20, 25, 50 years. Husband, be diligent to know what your wife is Thinking, what the way, well, it's, diffi it's difficult to think what she's thinking, but <laughs> I mean, if she's struggling with something, if she's struggling with sin, if she's struggling with, with something, be there for her, serve her. And wives as well, protect your, your marriage. Don't take for granted. Husband, protect your eyes, what you see, what you say. And finally, if you are thinking to get getting married, that's a good idea. Don't run away. <laughs> this is God's plan. If you are married, let me say that, and you're in need, if you need help, seek help. Seek for help. Come to the church. There's so many godly men and women that can help you. My final exaltation and final point of the sermon is for single. What if I am single? Whether it's because of divorce, because of my spouse died, or because I haven't gotten married yet. Well, remember, this is my final point of the sermon. Singleness honors God. And I think that we have neglected as a church sometimes to make feel the singles as less too. But singleness honors God. Verse 10 to 12. The disciples said to him, ooh, if such is the case of a man... With his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. And there, is, there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by man. And there are eunuchs 
who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive it, to receive this, receive it. The disciples reacted. Why they reacted? Because they understood. They understood that what Jesus was teaching was totally different what the Pharisees and the culture were saying. Like today. What the Bible says always will be different what the culture is saying. And the disciples reacted in this way. And Jesus replied then, not everyone can receive this saying because it's, it's hard. It's true. But this is the truth. And then he presents three categories of singles. Eunuchs that were born as such refers to men that can't um, reproduce due to a physical defect. Who were made eunuchs by people. Remember that slaves in the Asian Near East, a slave or if you worked in a, pl- a palace, would be castrated. Some of them would be castrated so that they could not sleep with the master's wife. And then he brings another category, and he uses eunuchs metaphorically, to those who voluntarily have decided to remain single. And Jesus is saying for those, well, I do it for the kingdom of heaven. And again, Jesus is saying again that Singleness could be a great gift too. Church, let's be careful not to make the singles feel inferior because they aren't married. And sometimes we put a lot of pressure. On the other hand, if you are single, don't be absorbed. Don't absorb the pressure of this culture. Pray for a godly man or pray for a godly woman, but also be that godly man and that godly woman. If you are a man... And you are in this church, and you are a godly man, and you have been praying. Hey, brother, move on. There is a good godly woman too in this church. I have heard some of our single ladies complaining that men are just playing video games. (laughs) Come on. Do you need some Dominicans' advices? But meanwhile, use your singleness for the kingdom of heaven. If you are single and you want to stay single, that's fine too. That's fine too. Use your singleness for the glory of God. And look Paul's example, 1 Corinthians 7, to the Mary and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Use your time. Use your time. Invest yourself. Do not complain and move forward. If you want to get married, pray, pray and pray and also act. If you are single and I'm thinking to get, about getting married, pray and look, in, look for direction. But church, let's protect our marriage. Let's protect our people. Let's protect our singles. Pastor John Piper says, and I ends with these words. The gospel of Christ crucified for our sins is the foundation for our lives. Marriage exists to prove it. And, we, when, and when, when marriage breaks down, the gospel is there to forgive and to heal and sustain us until he comes or until he calls us home to heaven. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that you use your word to 
teach us, to guide us, to protect us, to comfort us, to direct us, to shape us. We pray that you use your word. And I pray that your spirit, if today there is some people here that they don't understand because they are not followers of Jesus Christ, that you may use this text as well to open their eyes. I pray that you make First Irving a church with a strong marriage. That this multi-generational church can edify to each other, serve to each other. That those like me, that we are just learning, that we may learn from those who have been married longer. And those who want to be married can find in the church examples, examples to follow. Use this community to build up a church as strong with a strong marriage and family. In Jesus' name, we pray. If you have been convicted, if you feel that weight of conviction or for anything, not necessarily related to this topic, but for anything, I invite you to come to the steps. They are open. Just pull out your heart. Come to God and say, God, I don't know how to do it, but teach me how to. I want to be faithful. I want to follow you. I want to be a good servant of Christ. The steps are open for you. Let's worship.